Every now and then, I have the opportunity and privilege to sit in a room with just one individual or stand in front of a large crowd and answer questions on my favorite topic, God. Now, I've been doing this for decades, and no matter what part of the world I'm in or how unique each individual is, I can guarantee you that I will eventually be asked a version of the same three questions, no matter where I am or who I'm with. Now, the first question I'll be asked is this. Is there any evidence for the existence of God? Now, there are several arguments that I can present, but I always begin with the argument from the existence of the universe. It's simple. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. It's a powerful argument. Not only is it rationally airtight, it's also scientifically supported by modern cosmology and astrophysics. Now, more often than not, after arguing that our universe requires a creator, I'm then asked the second question. Well, if the universe requires a creator, then who, why doesn't God require a creator? I mean, who created God? That's when I begin to explain to them that no one created God, that God is an eternal being, the uncaused cause of everything. It's then that I can expect to hear the third most frequently asked question. Well, if God created everything, if he created the world, why is there so much evil in the world? Where did evil come from? And if you try to tell me, Darren, that God didn't directly create evil, but evil somehow came into existence later, then you're going to need to explain to me why God created a world that would eventually give rise to evil. I mean, isn't the presence of evil an obvious design flaw in God's creation? Why wouldn't God create a world where evil was impossible? Well, this escalated quickly, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, as you can see, we're not even five minutes into today's teaching, and we're already in the deep end of the pool. Let me tell you something right off the top here. I'm going to be very direct with you right now. You are going to be called upon to do some heavy lifting over the next few minutes. For the next few moments, you're going to have to do some intellectual work. You're going to be called upon to think hard with me. For the next few moments, you're going to have to focus your mind. You're going to be called upon to exercise your brain. And if you will do that, I promise you, you will come out the other end of this teaching with a newfound clarity regarding one of the most important topics that a human being can ponder. You see, Today's topic is not a topic that can be treated lightly or flippantly. Today's topic is of immense impact. It's a topic that has confused many a mind, corrupted many a heart, and killed many a person. In fact, what we will be discussing today was responsible for killing Jesus. Today, we're beginning a three-week series about a one-word topic. Evil. Evil. It's just one word, but this one word speaks volumes. This one word triggers our emotions and torments our minds. This one word has haunted hearts, ravaged relationships, and perverted people since the beginning of human history. I mean, every one of us knows how it feels to be touched by the tentacles of evil. We see it in our headlines, we hear it in our headspace. It's evil, and it's everywhere. That's why, during the next three weeks, 
We're going to do our best to answer three crucial questions tied to this one ugly word. Over the next three weeks, we're going to investigate where did evil come from? How can I resist evil? And what will be the ultimate end of evil? Today, we're beginning at the beginning. So where did evil come from? Now, this question has been pondered for thousands of years. And when you survey the answers, there seem to be about three general responses to choose from, three competing views. First of all, there's what I'll call the Eastern religious view. This view declares that evil does not actually exist. The Eastern religious view declares that evil doesn't exist. This is the yin-yang worldview. This is the view that teaches that all is one that things only appear to be different. This view claims that, in reality, there's no such thing as good and there's no such thing as evil. They're actually one and the same. They only appear to be different. This view of reality lies at the center of all Eastern thought and every Eastern religion. Which brings us to a second general view when it comes to the origin of evil. The atheistic view. Now, this view declares that evil is actually a human invention. According to this view, all moral codes, all moral laws are rules that we invented over hundreds of thousands of years as a way of surviving and thriving as a species. According to this view, evil is not truly or objectively evil, and good is not truly or objectively good, per se. I mean, these are just words, just concepts, just labels that we humans have invented. We could switch the labels tomorrow if we wanted to. We can call evil good and good evil. What we call evil today, we could call good tomorrow if we wanted to. I mean, hey, we invented the terms so we can change the terms. You see, according to the atheistic view, there is no God to whom we're accountable. There's no ultimate lawgiver, no ultimate standard of morality. We're the lawgivers. We're the standard, according to the atheistic view. So, where did evil come from? Well, the Eastern religious view declares that evil does not actually exist. The atheistic view declares that evil is a human invention, which brings us to the third view the biblical view. This is the view that evil is not the presence of something, it's the absence of something. The biblical view declares that evil is not the presence of something, it's the absence of something. You see, where we can get confused when it comes to the origin of evil is we can tend to think of evil as a thing. We tend to think of evil as a thing that someone had to form or create like a tree or a star or a salamander. And with this false concept in our minds, we can ask the question, so who made evil? Who formed it? Who shaped it? Who created it? The biblical view corrects such thinking. The biblical view of evil tells us that evil is not a thing that exists. Evil is not an object that was created by someone. The biblical view declares that evil is not the presence of something, evil is the absence of something. What do we mean? Let me do my best to help us grasp what's being said here. Think in these terms. We've all experienced what it feels like to be in a very dark room, or maybe be totally blindfolded. 
We're all familiar with what it feels like to experience darkness. Well, let me ask you something. What exactly is darkness? I mean, is there something out there in the world that's called darkness? Meaning, is there an actual object, a created thing out there called darkness? No, there's not. Darkness is not the presence of something. Darkness is the absence of something. Darkness is the absence of light. The same thing is true when it comes to the experience of being cold. There's not a thing, an object out there called cold. Just like darkness, cold is not the presence of something. Cold is the absence of something. Cold is the absence of heat. When you're cut off from the presence of heat, you experience cold. Darkness is the absence of light. Cold is the absence of heat. Well, evil is the absence of good. And good is the nature of God. I'll say that again. Evil is the absence of good. And good is the nature of God. Well, how are you doing so far? Is your brain hurting a bit? Is it tired? Do you need a bit of a breather? Listen, if you're still with me, I commend you for your effort. Now, I acknowledge that this is not an easy subject. But the most rewarding destinations that we reach come after the most challenging journeys that we take. And you and I have just reached an important stage in today's journey. See, we've come to recognize that evil is not an object that God created. We've come to recognize that evil is not the presence of something. Evil is the absence of something. Just like darkness is the absence of light, just like cold is the absence of heat, evil is the absence of good, and good is the very nature of God. You see, God is the greatest conceivable being. If you can think of a being greater than God, then that being is God. God's the greatest conceivable being, and that means God's nature is absolute perfection. And part of God's nature is his goodness, his moral goodness, meaning God's moral purity. God's nature is absolutely morally pure. Now, that being said, you and I were designed to live in a world filled with God's goodness. We were created to walk in step with God's goodness. The author of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, wrote this. When God had completed his creation, the author said, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Everything was conforming to the nature of God. Everything was reflecting the goodness of God. And then it happened. The first two humans made a decision. The first two humans made a choice. They decided to reject the good. They chose to withdraw from the good. And in doing so, they created the conditions necessary to experience what we now know as evil. They departed from the presence of good. And the absence of good is evil. And from that moment onward, evil was unleashed upon our world, and its tentacles have reached across the centuries into your life and into my life. And truth be told, the decision that was made by that first human pair is identical to numerous decisions that I have made and I dare say you have made. And every time we resist and reject that which is good, we reinvite and we reinvent that which is evil. But hold on, you're shouting in your head. 
Aren't there degrees of evil? Darren, are you saying that just because I've told the odd lie or broken the odd law or cut the odd corner that I am therefore evil? Let me be clear about this. I am not saying that. Jesus said that. One day, while teaching his disciples on the topic of prayer, Jesus said this. He said, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So far, so good, right? I mean, pretty encouraging stuff from the lips of Jesus. We'll keep reading what Jesus had to say next. He said, so which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Well, if you then, though you are evil... If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, yes, there are degrees of evil, but it's all still evil. See, like, like there are degrees of lies. Hey, I told you 99% of the truth. Oh, so you lied to me. Well, only 1%, 99% of what I told you was the truth. Yeah, but you told me a lie. 99% of the truth is a lie. See, the word in the Bible, particularly the New Testament for sin, is the word hemarchia. It literally means to miss the mark. So picture a target. You and I were created to hit a bullseye on that target. Anything outside of a bullseye, anything outside the, a direct hit to the center is a miss. It could be very close to the center, but it's still a miss. It could be hitting the wall and not even hitting the target. That's, yes, even farther away from the, from the center, even more of a miss. But it is no, it is a miss nonetheless. It could be close to the target. It could be far away from the target. But if it's not directly on target, it is off target. It has fallen short of the target. And that's the Greek word for sin. It means literally to miss the mark. If I don't hit a perfect bullseye, I have sinned. It is evil. It's some, maybe, things may be more evil than others, but anything not directly tied to the goodness and perfection of God is sin. It is evil. And that's the human condition. The Bible declares, and I'm quoting the Bible now, all have sinned, all have missed the mark, all have fallen short of the glory, the perfection of God. No one is righteous. No one is good enough. Not one. And that's why Jesus came. He came not to condemn us, but to save us, to rescue us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to restore us, to set us free from the power of sin. Have you made this decision, by the way, to accept the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers to you? If you haven't, in just a couple moments, at the end of today's teaching, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray with me and to do that very thing. Okay, so where did evil come from? Well, it's not as mysterious as we pretend it to be. Evil is the absence of good. Evil comes from our rejection of God. Well, not so fast, someone out there is saying. God doesn't get off the hook this easily. Why did God permit even the possibility of evil? God's all-powerful. He's the boss. He could have created any kind of world that he wanted to create. 
So why didn't God create a world where it was impossible to reject the good? Why didn't he create a world where evil could never even be chosen? That's a fair question. And the quality of your experience of life for all eternity lies at the heart of the answer to that question. Why didn't God create a world where it was impossible to reject the good, a world where evil could never be chosen? John, one of Jesus' closest companions, wrote a letter that described a key aspect of the very nature of God. Writing to other followers of Jesus, John said, God is love. Now, the ancient Greek word that John chose for love was a very special word. He could have chosen the word eros, the word for romantic love, but he didn't. He could have chosen the word storge, the word for family affection, but he didn't. He could have chosen the word philia, the word for friendly affection, but he didn't. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word that John chose was the word agape, God's nature is agape, meaning the purest love imaginable. God said, do you want to know what I'm like at my core? I am agape. My very nature is to love with the purest love imaginable, the highest level of love. Well, that's God's reality. Now let's look at your reality. You were created in God's image. You were created to reflect and interact with God. The author of Genesis declared, and I quote him, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So when you put these two truths together, God's agape nature and you being made in his image, you discover that you were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. John went on to write, Dear friends, let's love one another. Let's agape one another. For agape comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. He is agape. So in other words, John's writing, God is agape love, the purest love imaginable. You are made in God's image. That means you are made to reflect and interact with God's agape love. You were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. Now, we're trying to answer an important question. Why didn't God create a world where it was impossible to reject the good, a world where evil could never be chosen? Well, we've learned that God's very nature is agape, the purest love imaginable. We've learned that you were created in God's image to reflect and to interact with God. We've learned that that means you were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. You say, okay, Darren, that's fine. It's all wonderful. But how does it explain why God didn't create a world where evil was impossible, where evil could not be chosen? The answer to that question is found now in the next statement. The ability to love requires the ability to choose and the possibility to reject. I'm going to say that again. The ability to love requires the ability to choose and therefore the possibility to reject. Listen. You could program your alarm clock instead of buzzing to shout at you every morning, I love you, I love you, I love you. You could program your phone every time the screen lights up to say, I love you, I love you. You could 
Program your computer, the home screen, to say, I love you. You are so lovable. You could pay people to write you a loving email every day. Every day you could pay someone to, to write you an email to say how much they love you. You could pay someone to text you their love for you every day. You could pay someone to write you an old-fashioned letter, stamp it, and send it in the mail every day, a love letter to you. You could arrange all of these things to take place, and none of them would be true expressions of love. Why? Because love is not robotic, it's not programmed. Love is a decision. It's not forced, it's a choice. Love at its highest and greatest level is a choice. You were created to experience life at the highest level possible. You were created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. And that level of living requires the ability to choose. And the ability to choose requires the possibility to reject. Where did evil come from? Who created evil? Evil's not the presence of something that was created. Evil's the absence of the goodness of God. Evil is what we experience when we choose to reject or ignore or turn our backs upon or walk away from the goodness of God. Well, why didn't God create a world where it was impossible to reject and ignore and turn our backs on and walk away from God? Because God created you to experience life at the highest level possible. God created you to experience and express the purest love imaginable. And that level of living, that level of loving requires that you have the ability to choose. And the ability to choose requires the possibility to reject. And that brings us to today's big idea where we sum up the teaching in one simple phrase. Here it is. Evil is not a creation of God. Evil is the rejection of God. Evil is not a creation of God. Evil is the rejection of God. As we conclude today's teaching, let's move from the realm of our heads to the realm of our hearts. As I was preparing this teaching, in all sincerity, the Spirit of God oppressed upon me a particular group of people that He's wanting to reach. You're listening to me today, and you have been wrestling with this issue for a long time. You are angry at God. You've turned your back on God because of something that has happened in your life or in the life of someone you love. Some evil has taken place, some ugliness has transpired, and it simmers in your soul, and it has caused you to reject the one who created you. It's my hope and my prayer that today you will see things as they really are. It's my hope and my prayer that today you will experience the truth. Are you seeing it? You have experienced evil in your life, there's no doubt. But God was not the author of that evil. That evil was the very opposite to the heart and nature of God. Evil's not a creation of God. Evil is the rejection of God. And by you rejecting God today because of some evil in your past, you're actually choosing even more evil. That's why your anger and your rage only grow stronger as the days go by. You're responding to evil by feeding yourself with even more evil. Are you seeing it? If evil is the rejection of God, how is your decision to reject God even more every day of your life? 
a rational or healthy response. Isn't that like protesting against lung cancer by smoking a pack of cigarettes every day? You're angry at God because you're believing a lie. And today, God wants to set you free from that lie. Today, God wants to deliver you from that evil. He loves you. He knows your pain. He's here to heal you of that pain. In your experience of his love, your experience of his healing, your experience of his freedom is only a decision away. So why not make that decision right now? Let's pray together. God, I have experienced evil. I know what it is to sense ugliness. I know what it is to feel what it is to have withdrawn from your presence, to be impacted by someone who has rejected your goodness and has chosen to, to distance themselves from purity, from truth, from goodness. I know what it feels like to be impacted by someone who lies, who cheats, who harms, who destroys, who abuses. And if I'm honest, I know what it feels like to lie and to destroy and to cheat and to deceive and to turn my back on what is good and true and pure. If I'm honest, I have to acknowledge that I too have sinned. I have missed the mark. And God, I don't want to live this way any longer. I have been rejecting you. I have been distancing myself from the good. I have wandered into the realm of evil. I don't want to live this way anymore. I turn my back, back, and, and my life back towards you. I turn my face towards you, towards your cross towards your throne, towards the empty tomb. You're offering to forgive me and cleanse me, so I choose today to accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Cleanse me, renew me, restore me, fill me with your spirit. Begin to change and transform me from the inside out. And God, would you give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision, even before my head hits the pillow today? By the authority of the resurrected Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Amen means so be it, or that's right. Well, if you made that decision, congratulations. You've turned your life back into the hands and you've wandered, not wandered, you've walked, stepped intentionally back into the presence of God. The best advice I can give you is to Text the number on the screen right now. No, we're not tricking you. You're not joining Broadway Church. We're not going to phone you or harass you in any way. We're simply respond to your text with another text, offering our services to you in any way that we can help. Well, this is week one of our three-week series. Next week, we're going to ask and answer the question, so how can I resist evil? If evil is all around me, and truth be told, even often within me, how can I resist evil? evil in my life? We're going to learn the answer to that question next week as we continue in our series entitled Evil. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today at Broadway Church.